everybody, how's it going? This is Hub, and welcome back to a very special episode of Tighten Up the Defense, a podcast that would likely benefit from a tagline. As I believe I just mentioned, my name's Hub, and as I'm also pretty sure I just mentioned, this is a very special episode. Now, what is it that makes this episode so special? Why, it is our 227th episode! I know! Now, it's always been a dream of mine to have a 227th episode of a show, because I always figured that at that point, that is when I would pivot the show and change its topic to be a recap program of the series 227, the spinoff from the Jeffersons, which focused on their housekeeper, Mary. So really, the first 226 episodes of this show were pretty much just me biding my time while I waited to talk about a subject that I'm actually passionate about. You think I give a fuck about comic books? No, no, no. My passion always has been, and always will be, spin-off sitcoms of the early to mid-80s. Unfortunately, 227 isn't currently streaming on any of the media platforms I have access to, so we're gonna have to go from my memory of having seen one episode of 227 when I was a kid. So, Jack A. Harry's pretty funny, and she always says Mary's name like this. Mary! That's fun. Oh, and at some point during the series, she says, Ooh, a muscle, I got one of those one time. I had to lay in bed a week until it went away. And I don't really understand that joke, but it was funny then, and it's funny now. And also, it turns out 227 isn't a spinoff of The Jeffersons. It just stars Marla Gibb, who played Florence on The Jeffersons, but on 227, she plays Mary. Or, I'm sorry, Mary. Man, Jackie Harry is great. She had a cameo in You Got Served. And that concludes our coverage of the show 227. So, yeah, well, shit, I guess we'll talk about a comic book now or something. Without any further ado, let's, uh, do this. A gross way to say condensation is dewdrop piss, and a grossly condensed story is a synopsis. Synopsis. New Teen Titans, Volume 2, Number 39, January 1988. Loving You. Written by Marf Wolfman, drawn by Eduardo Barreto, inked by Romeo Tangal, lettered by Janice Chiang, colored by Adrienne Roy, and edited by Barbara Randall. Teen Titan Roll Call Raven, Starfire. Nightwing, Cyborg, Jericho, Wonder Girl, and Beast Boy. Previously in the New Teen Titans. Ever since destroying the extra-dimensional demonic bad dad who had been living in her bird-shaped soul tummy, and defeating the supposedly septicentenarian but secretly seventh-generation single-centenarian cult leader who had kidnapped and brainwashed her, Raven had been a bit out of sorts. 
For the first time in her life, the avian-themed Azerathian was free to experience emotions without having to worry about accidentally destroying the universe. And consequently, she had been sampling feelings freely from the limbic system buffet that was New York City's theater district. After luxuriating in the emotions of those around her, the overly enthusiastic empath had decided that she was in love with her fellow Titan Nightwing. In a fit of passion, Raven subconsciously used her emotional manipulation powers on the object of her obsession, and the two bird-themed buddies shared a weird makeout session. Nightwing immediately put the incident behind him and returned to his longtime space girlfriend Coriander, with whom he had recently reunited after a brief separation when he threw a tantrum because she got space married to a guy on her home planet in a futile attempt to prevent a planetary civil war. Raven, however, was convinced that Dick would soon leave Starfire and that the two avian-themed adventurers would be together. Oh, and then the Titans took a couple of issues off from thinking about their feelings to team up with Infinity Inc. and fight an ape-shaped kaiju made of sentient space cereal and make an old man feel bad about himself. Gadzooks! After defeating a skyscraper-sized swarm of extraterrestrial nonsense, what fiendish foes will our titular Titans face next? What novel new tactic will our heroes employ to vanquish this formidable adversary? And who is Starfire's favorite character from the comic strip Peanuts? Stay tuned to find out. Okay, so their most dangerous opponent yet, their emotions. Frank and open discussion, and Linus. Everybody thinks and talks about their feelings. They're nice to each other, and then they feel better. The end. Okay, we'll go into it in a little more detail than that, but that pretty much is the issue. But if we're going to get granular, Dick and Raven are having a weird psychedelic makeout in outer space. Suddenly, Starfire shows up and starts yelling Dick's name. There's a strange swirl of light, and then everything goes all squiggly. Dick wakes up with a start. It was all a dream. He turns to Coriander and is like, Oh, dang, I just had that dream again. Every night for the past month or so, I dream that Raven and I are either making out or doing it. It's so realistic. Would you like me to go into more detail about it? Because I totally can. Starfire is like, nah, that's okay. I mean, you can if you want to, but I pretty much get the picture. I'm fairly certain that what's going on is that Raven is new to having emotions, and she picked up on the fact that you care about her as a friend, and thought that meant you were in love with her. Then she fixated on you and constructed an elaborate fantasy about the two of you being in love. She doesn't have full control of her powers, and your dreams are probably the result of her accidentally projecting that fantasy. Dick is like, oh, yeah, I guess that makes sense. So, you're probably super jealous, right? Coriander is like, nah, on Tamaran we all have open relationships. If you and Raven actually want a bone, go for it. Dick is like, Tamaran is bad and wrong. On an unrelated note, as I keep bringing up for absolutely no reason whatsoever, I am totally, totally over the fact that you got space married to Captain Papadopoulos. Like, I don't care at all. It's fine and has nothing to do with the fact that I won't move in with you. Starfire is like, okay. Want me to talk to Raven about the whole you not being in love with her thing? Dick says that's probably a good idea. Then they make out for a while. A few blocks away, Raven is walking around her neighborhood, grooving on the ambient emotions of her fellow New Yorkers. 
some New Wave street toughs aggressively hit on her, so she blasts them with a wave of pure joy. Then she stops to absorb all the pain and loneliness of a homeless woman and makes her feel all better. That's nice. When she's done cheering up her neighbors, Raven heads home and is surprised to find that Starfire is there waiting for her. Raven is like, Oh shit, you're pissed off that Dick and I are in love, aren't you? Coriander is like, Nah, let's go to Tahiti and talk about feelings. Raven is like, Um, okay. And teleports them to Tahiti. Once they get there, Starfire is like, Look, I know you think you and Dick are in love, but you aren't. You're just mixed up and accidentally used your powers on him. Raven's like, Oh shit, I bet you're right. Sorry about that. Starfire's like, Don't sweat it. You're new to having feelings and it's tricky. Listen, my planet is super emotional and I've been having feelings my whole life. You want to hang out here and I'll give you some pointers? Raven thinks that sounds fine, so the two of them hang out in Tahiti and talk about their feelings and frolic for a week. They splash in the water, sit around a campfire, and become best friends. Hooray! Back in New York, Dick is sitting in Starfire's apartment when Raven bursts through the door and is like, Hey! Dick is like, Oh, uh, hi, Raven. Um, where's Starfire? Raven is like, She's busy. Let's make out. Then she grabs Dick and starts smooching him. Dick is flummoxed as hell, but then Starfire flies in through the window and starts laughing her ass off. She's like, Haha, I told Raven to make out with you as a prank. Good one, huh? Raven and Coriander share a chuckle while Dick sulks for a minute before joining in the laughter. Then he tells Starfire that while she was gone, he decided to finally take the plunge and move into her apartment with her. Starfire's pretty stoked about it. She picks Dick up and flies him into the air. While the two heroes enjoy a makeout of the non-prank variety, Raven starts heading home. She's feeling a little lonely and isn't wild about the idea of returning to an empty apartment, so the circumstantially solo sorceress decides to stop by Cyborg's Times Square apartment for a visit. When she arrives, Vic's girlfriend-slash-physical therapist, Dr. Sarah Charles, answers the door. Vic is having a barbecue and most of the Titans and their respective love interests are there. They all greet Raven warmly and are pleased to see her, but the awkward empath is increasingly uncomfortable with the situation. For one thing, she's the only Titan present who doesn't have a date, and she's feeling like a ninth wheel. Also, it hurts her feelings that Dick had a party and invited everyone but her. While Jericho's date, Tish, is introducing herself to everyone, Raven makes a hasty excuse and dips out of the party. She heads home feeling crummy about the whole thing, but when she gets to her apartment, she sees the light blinking on her answering machine. The message is from Cyborg. He had left it this morning asking if she could make it to the impromptu potluck party he was throwing this evening, and requests that she bring some sodas with her. Turns out, she had been invited after all. Hooray! Raven feels a little foolish, but mostly relieved. She rushes out to get some beverages and heads back to the party where despite the fact that Beast Boy is in attendance and Jericho has gotten out a guitar, everyone has a good time. Aww. Seriously, though? Where did Jericho even get that guitar from? He didn't have it when he showed up, and I'm pretty sure Vic doesn't play guitar. Does Jericho just keep guitars stashed around the city like some kind of a conversation-derailing squirrel? Damn it, Jericho. Oh, also, Beast Boy was supposed to bring charcoal, but he didn't. Damn it, Beast Boy!
The next day, Wonder Girl meets Starfire at Rockefeller Plaza for an outdoor photo shoot. As Donna gets her camera ready, she's like, Oh, hey, by the way, we got a bunch of offers for you to pose nude for some photos. I hope it's cool that I turned them down for you. Coriander is like, but posing nude is cool. Dawn is like, oh, totally, the coolest. But since everyone knows you're a titan, I thought the public might freak out about it. Huh. Interesting. Later that night, Nightwing and Starfire have a little post-coital chat. Dick is like, hey, you know how I'm totally over the fact that you space-married that Papadopoulos guy? Well, I just wanted to let you know, I still am. Totally over it. Yup. Doesn't bother me at all. Not even a little. I basically never think about it. Coriander is like, Well, good. But if it helps you get even more over it, you could try thinking of it more as a peace treaty than a marriage. Dick is like, Oh. Oh! Well, that changes everything. Now I'm less bothered than I was before, which, just to be clear, was not at all. A peace treaty. Huh. Yeah, Dick. A peace treaty. It's probably for the best that Starfire doesn't also tell him to think of all of the sex she had on her space honeymoon as diplomatic conferences. Because it seems like there were a lot of those diplomatic conferences on the asteroid she and Papadopoulos were on. Loud, enthusiastic, diplomatic conferences. Dick and Starfire celebrate how super-duper triple over her space marriage Dick is by having another diplomatic conference of their own. Good for them. The next day, Jericho and his mom, Adeline Kane, are at an art fair. Joe picks out a painting as a gift for his girlfriend, Tish, and his mom razzes him about it a little. Then some armed jerks show up and try to rob the joint, so Joe and Addie beat them up. Hooray! As they walk home, Addie asks her son if he'd consider coming and working for her freelance spy agency on a part-time basis. Joe says he'll think about it. That night, Raven looks out over the city and thinks about how happy she is to have friends and how excited she is to feel the full gamut of emotions that are now available to her. Dick and Coriander make out and talk about the fact that everything's great. Donna and Terry make out and talk about the fact that everything's great. Vic and Sarah make out and talk about the fact that everything's great. Beast Boy looks at the posters of himself that he has plastered all over his wall and says that everything's great. We don't see him make out with the pictures of himself, but come on, he probably does. Fucking Beast Boy. The end. Joining us once again via the magic of telephonic communication is my good-for-many-things brother, Corey. Corey, how's it going? Hello. <laughs> it's going well. How are you? Glad to hear it. That was oddly formal at first there. I, that's why I paused after I said it. Do you ever have that happen where something comes out of your mouth and you're just like, whoop, that was weird, but too late, let's go. Yep. For a second there, I forgot I wasn't a butler, but... Yeah. Life goes on. Fair enough. Other than that, how's it going? <laughs> it's going good. I'm a little confused about this comic book. I, I think we'll we'll get into all of that, but, um, you know, it's not an unpleasant confusion. Glad to hear it. Well, you want to dive in and start talking about it? Sure. 
Corey, what did you think of this comic book? So I guess we'll kick it off with a little note I had to myself after reading it, which was, this is such a hopeful issue. What's the catch? (laughs) I know what you mean. It really does end on an up note that we're not used to seeing in these. And speaking of unexpected positivity, I loved this comic book. (laughs) You sound unconvinced. I think more confused than anything else. Like, Mm. that just has frankly not been my experience with the last few Teen Titans issues that we've read. And I think more than that, I'm just confused at myself because it's an issue where nothing really happens other than people sitting around all issue talking about their feelings. And I think it's one of my favorite Teen Titans comics I've ever read. Yeah, okay, I could see why that would confuse you as sitting around talking about feelings isn't high on anybody's list from New Hampshire. That's true. We're a real Azeroth of a state. Yep. It says that in really small letters under the live free or die. Mm -hmm. What did you think of it? Yeah, kind of same reaction, like, how to put it? We've been reading about these characters for so long and we've seen them in a lot of ways change and evolve from you know the goofy syrup chugging years to now Mm -hmm. and i didn't really feel like i needed a heavy character development issue but at the same time that was kind of what was going on some maturing and getting things straightened out and it was just really enjoyable to kind of be a fly on the wall with these characters that we've been reading for so many years now it really was and I came out of this issue honestly liking, I think, almost every character in it better than I did when I started reading the issue. Like, it developed them in a really intelligent way, and it was really cool. I dug it. We'll see how much some of the character development sticks. I'm a little bit skeptical on that front, frankly, because in the past, under Wolfman's guide, most of the characters haven't so much had character arcs as they've had, like, character loop-de-loops where they Mm -hmm. just end up pretty much right back where they started after seeming to grow for a little bit but uh i don't know i'm i'm really hopeful i really enjoyed this in a way honestly that makes me wonder how much there is to talk about because so little happened in this book but frankly even if there is nothing else to talk about about the plot of the book we could spend pretty much a whole hour talking about the fashion choices in it So the uh, sartorially speaking section might be doing a lot of the heavy lifting this episode. Yeah, that's fair. I actually wrote down, because, yeah, same thing. I was like, wait, did I miss something? And so I'm going to read you what I came up with. You tell me if I missed anything. Okay. All right. First 10 pages, Starfire tells Raven what's what, and they bond. Mm -hmm. They play a joke on Dick, but then Raven is sad. She goes to a barbecue and has some kind of third wheel sadness because there's a bunch of couples there. Dick moves in with Starfire and she does a photo shoot with Wonder Girl. Joey and his mom buy some art and stop a robbery and she asks him to join her searchers group. And then uh, Raven goes back to barbecue and then everybody's happy. Yeah, pretty much. Like, there's definitely a few more details in there. Like, I mean... Jericho's mom really needs to work on her phrasing, certainly, but in terms of big plot points, ah, that's pretty much it. And her personal space, man. There's a scene in there where she leans in on him, and I was, like, so uncomfortable. (laughs) 
Yeah, honestly, if she was a possible option for Beast Boy for this issue, I kind of would have gone with her because I liked what all the Titans were doing for the most part, but she did a few things. So the phrasing thing that I'm talking about is at one point, Jericho has taken over one of the gunmen's bodies and is using him to fight the other robbers. And the gunman who he is possessing says, I can't control my hands. And Adeline says, not while my son is inside you. (laughs) Yep. And that cracked me up more than it should because I am a fucking child. And then, yeah, as you mentioned, after they foil the robbery, she is like really into his personal space. Well, she is making a joke that doesn't quite land, I think, about, well, the clientele in this place is terrible. Let's get out of here. I guess she was talking about the robbers, but everybody else there has just been through a robbery. You don't need to cast aspersions on them. Mm -hmm. And then she's kind of interrogating Jericho about his relationship with this girl, Tish, who he started dating, which we can come back to, and whether he'll come work for her. And she's asking him all of these questions and then is answering for him. I think we are supposed to glean that she is like reading aloud his signs that he is giving. But the thing is, while she's asking him all of these questions, she's pulling a real dental hygienist because he's talking using sign language and she's asking him all of these questions while he is carrying a big painting. So his hands are full. So she's providing both sides of the dialogue there. Yeah, that's a really apt way to put it. That always drove me crazy. I I had a dental hygienist who would do that. And all you can say is like, (laughs) you know, Mm -hmm. you sound like young Frankenstein. So, yeah, we get a little bit of plot development in that regard, that it seems like maybe Joey is going to go to being a part timer in the Teen Titans, which would fit with the fact that he pretty much has been lately anyway. Like he's had a lot of unexcused absences from the book in the past 10 or 12 issues, I feel like. Mm -hmm. So maybe they're just trying to write around that. I think one of the things about this book that appeals to me, and maybe this isn't across the board, maybe this is just a right now thing, and I happen to be reading it at the right time for me, because lately I have been liking my media like I like my vegan restaurants. No steaks. I think that's a byproduct of the pandemic. I get stressed out if there are high stakes in a situation, even if it's a work of fiction. And... This book really didn't have any stakes at at all. Like, it starts off to have some emotional stakes because you're worried about the whole love triangle between Dick and Starfire and Raven. And really, in the first few pages, it addresses that and is just like, nope, Dick has been honest and has had open discussions with Starfire about this. She is not upset about it. So it takes that off of the table, like the whole miscommunication, are they going to break up because of this thing? Mm-hmm. and Starfire's like, and I'll talk to Raven to make sure she doesn't have her feelings hurt about it. And so it really diffuses that situation in a really clean way and has all of the characters behaving really maturely and communicating with one another in a way that you almost never see in comic books. Yeah, it does. And it was weird to the degree that when Dick was disclosing, 
to Starfire at the beginning. I was like, whoa, whoa, dude, slow your roll. Like, you're going to get in big trouble. Because he's like, yeah, I've been having dreams that we've been boning down for three months straight every night. It really, I, I think it was only a month because I think it's three weeks. But still, he is just like, yes, every night I have this dream. And it's like, oh, it's nice that they're communicating well. And then he keeps going. So I wonder to what extent it is him just being like, I'm going to see how far I can push this thing. Mm -hmm. Like, there's an aspect of it where it's like, maybe he's just kind of oblivious. Maybe it's just that he knows Starfire really well because they've been dating for so long and they talk a lot. But it also seems that there was a part of him that was just like, how far can I push this? Because she's not being at all jealous. So I'm just going to be like, yeah, every night I'm having this <laughs> dream that I make love with Raven every single night and it's really great it does seem like he's he's really testing boundaries well and i love that starfire's response is yeah good for you i mean if you want to go for it mm -hmm. pretty much she she talks about how like no on tamaran we all have open relationships so whatever i don't give a fuck i, I don't want raven to get her feelings hurt so if you want to hook up with her too at which point he's like, whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> oh, totally. Yeah, he is definitely the one who backs down in that situation. And there's a fair amount of that in this book where it really hints at the idea that Starfire just doesn't have any jealousy and doesn't have any of our Earth hangups about monogamy or whatnot. And I think that that's interesting and it can work from like a character development stance where she is from a different planet and all that. There is a thing, though, where as you're reading it, you do keep remembering that, like, yeah, Marf Wolfman's in his, like, 40s at the time that he's writing this. And he seems very interested in discussing sexual liberation as it pertains to 20-year-old young women. You know? Oh, yeah, you definitely get the sense that she's written here like somebody's imaginary perfect girlfriend. Yeah, there's like a big wish fulfillment aspect there. And so like, I don't necessarily disagree with any of the words that Wolfman is putting in her mouth, but it is weird that he is doing that. And it's something that comes up in especially genre fiction, I feel like a fair amount during the 70s and 80s. I read a bunch of Robert Heinlein for a while, and that's a concept that he plays with a lot. And then, like, Mickey Spillane also had a couple of books. The uh, the pulp detective mm -hmm. writer, he read a book called The Erection Set. I read that. I think you loaned it to me. It was so terrible, but, you know, very readable. But it did have that weird aspect to it where it's like a middle-aged dude hearing secondhand about the sexual revolution and then imposing his wish fulfillment on, that's what this probably means, huh? Mm -hmm. Yeah, there's definitely a feel of that to this, too. And and I think there is a lot of the, the male gaze in this book because there's a ton of screen time with Raven and Starfire, you know, frolicking with not much clothing on. Yes, there is an extended frolic scene. The way that they bond is uh, Starfire is like, hey, we got to talk. Take me to Tahiti. And so they go to Tahiti and they hang out and they talk and they frolic. And they have a week-long vacation hanging out with just each other. And then everything's all better. And then they come home and play a frankly mean prank on Dick. <laughs> he looks so horrified. 
Well, I honestly felt for him in this situation. I don't always empathize with Dick the most, but uh, when Raven shows up and just is like, hey, I'm back, and he's like, oh, where's Starfire? And she's like, never mind, Starfire. It's makeout time. Let's do some weird makeouts. I'm going to bite your lip now. <laughs> yeah. I learned all about this Earth-style kissing. <laughs> and then Starfire shows up and is like, ha ha, I gotcha. And he's like, uh, yeah? Good one? Yeah. Yeah, that was intended to be playful for sure. And I did kind of laugh at it and I liked that the, the girls were having fun with him. But also, yeah, I did feel like, oh man, how awkward and uncomfortable. And honestly, probably for Raven too. Like she's come to terms with her feelings, but I think the only one who actually thought that joke was funny was Starfire. Mm. So, I mean, I guess good for her because other than that, I mean, yeah, we talked about it. She is like a wish fulfillment version of the perfect girlfriend or whatever it seems like in this. But she does a great job and is really empathetic. And like I said, she talks maturely with another character about their feelings. And that's really cool. And it honestly, when they have their discussion, when she first shows up, Raven's like, is this about Dick? And Starfire's like, I mean, kind of, but not just. And when they are hanging out, it isn't just about Dick that they're talking. It's like, hey, you're new to having emotions. I'm from a group of people who got all the emotions all the time. Let's rap about that. Mm -hmm. And I appreciated that. Yeah, likewise. It did really confuse me, though, that first scene when Starfire shows up in Raven's apartment because I sometimes like it confused between Raven talking and Raven thinking because of her squiggly word bubbles. Yeah. So she's like, you're angry with me for taking Richard from you. I'm so sorry. I didn't mean to, but he loves me. And wait a minute, you're not angry. And Starfire's response is, Raven, we have to talk. It's like, really? That's all you have to say after hearing that? I guess she was aware of everything that was going on. So she was ready. Yeah. You bring up something, though, because there is that, like, Raven reading the emotions of the situation that she's interacting with and then changing her plan based on that. She is able to do that there. She's not able to do that when she goes to the party later, and that just seemed kind of weird to me. Like, if you're an empath, how can you be paranoid that people don't like you? It seems like that would take the paranoia out of the situation, because you would either be able to be like, oh, they do like me, or oh, they don't like me. You know? Yeah, I know we've talked about this a bunch, but I was just thinking in that scene with her and Starfire, like, oh my gosh, how incredibly useful would that be as a person who generally almost always errs on the side of, oh my gosh, I'm terrible, I've made a mistake, so-and-so is <laughs> probably not really happy with me. <laughs> I think we've both exchanged texts with each other that are like that, like apologizing for things that the other person <laughs> right notice <laughs> and so like on one hand that would be great right to be like oh no she's just having a bad day or you know he's hungry or whatever but on the other hand then if like ooh, <laughs> confirmed yeah that part would be rough it is weird though just how inconsistent her powers are in that way it is the barbecue thing i guess they just had to do that for plot plotting and honestly for the most part i really enjoyed the barbecue scene both times like both when she left and then when she came back it was kind of funny because she leaves and she's all mopey and you know walking home through the streets so bummed out that she walks right past an iron maiden concert and doesn't even want to listen in for a second 
And you know you can hear that on the street. Ah, so annoyed with her. But she gets home, checks her answering machine message, and there's a message from Vic that was left earlier that morning that's like, hey, I'm going to have a barbecue later. Please come over. I love Vic's plan, and I'm not sure that I didn't do that at one point. That seems like the kind of thing I would have done, is to like, oh, I don't have any food. Uh, okay, I'm having a party. Everybody bring some food. <laughs> yeah, I can see that. But I liked that move, and I liked, I don't know if it's an intentional callback, but we do once again see the importance of free sodas mm-hmm. in the DC universe. Yeah, Cherry Coke and A&W. Mm-hmm. It seems like it is possible that this whole endeavor is a scheme on Victor's part to get free sodas now that uh, Don is no longer handing them out all the time. You could be right. It's a cola-based economy. Mm. So in the opening scenes where Dick is having his apparently recurring dream of getting it on with Raven, I was struck by one thought. That's a lot of dicks. Because, <laughs> yeah, on that page, when he is having his dream right before he wakes up, you see both Raven and Coriander chanting the word dick. Mm-hmm. Like it's some kind of an incantation. And it's done like a sound effect, not a word bubble. And so on that page, there are, I think I counted, I think there's uh, 17 dicks. That's a lot of dicks. That is a lot of dicks. Yeah, you feel bad for him in that, too, because the way it's illustrated at the bottom, it's like that thing where you're, like, throwing your head from side to side to look to see where something horrible is coming from. Ugh. You ever have sleep paralysis? Is that like when you have a dream you can't get up out of? Uh, yeah, it's you have a dream, and then within the dream you know that if you can turn your head to one side, you can wake up, but you can't move, and... In my specific case, you know that there is something that you need to see that is right there, and it's like a creepy dude or something, and he'll get you if you can't look at him. Oh, Jesus, that sounds frustrating and scary. Yeah, the way it has happened with me, and I haven't had one of these in a while, but I used to get them fairly regularly, is like, you will eventually manage to turn your head and there'll be a second of relief, and then you'll realize you can't move again, and that you were just dreaming that last time. And so it'll be like a Russian nesting doll of dreamings. That's awful. Yeah, it's it sucks so much. Oh, man. Now, I guess I'm relatively fortunate in that the majority of like the, okay, this is really freaking me out, man, dreams. Like, I'll just wake up. Nice. Most of mine are that way, too. I haven't had one of these in a little while, but like I said, I used to get them fairly regularly, and I've talked to people who get them with much more regularity. Uh, But yeah, that is specifically what I was thinking of in that one scene with him. And Mm -hmm. so I was happy for him when he was able to pull out of bed with a start Mm -hmm. and say, oh, my God, Starfire, thank goodness you're here. I was just dreaming about boning down with our friend again. And it was wonderful. It was so real. (laughs) And she's like, oh, well, then I guess, you know, go for it. You get the flip side of that, which is. She feels really no jealousy, it seems, towards Dick. He feels a lot of jealousy towards the fact that she is space-married to Captain Papadopoulos back on Tamaran. And for the past several issues, he has brought that up by saying, 
So, you know how I'm totally over the fact that you're a space married to Captain Papadopoulos? Well, I'm still totally over that, but it is something that I think about a lot. You know, how over it I am. And also, we can't get married. Yeah. So she talks to him about that and is just like, look, it's a Tamaran thing. We've been over this a billion times. It's not like it's a real marriage. It was done for space reasons. So it doesn't matter. I don't think it applies legally on Earth. And he is unconvinced until she says, okay, think of it this way. It's like it was a peace treaty between two nations. That's what it was like. And as soon as she says that, it really does seem like, oh, does Dick not understand metaphor? Because mm-hmm. he seems to take that really literally. She's like, marriage means we took a vow of love and respect. We never did. We took a vow spoken by leaders, a vow of peace and cooperation. And he's like, oh, that's it? Oh, well, then fine. I'm totally good with it now. Okay. It's like, wait, they did get married, though. I mean, you were there for that. And when she says she never took the Tamaranian vow of love, I'm going to read you a little section from uh, New Teen Titans number 17. <laughs> which. I would like to point out Dick was present when this was said. Marriage is the merging of blood and soul. Rise, Coriander of Tamras and Karis of Calipat. Separate beings must become one. The bonding of love must make you one. From this day forth under the eyes of Zahal, you are no greater or less than each other. Moving together, thinking together, meshing together, you are one. And then they Voltron together into a single being as their souls merge. So, you did see that love got brought up there. And if that's just what a peace treaty looks like, seems like there'd maybe be less war on that planet. Yeah, one would think. And not only did they have that kind of a marriage, but then it's not like it wasn't consummated either, because Papadopoulos and Starfire went to uh, Starfire's old boarding school planet and boned down for like two months while her parents listened. And you know what? Dick was there for that, too. Well, maybe, you know, the medium takes liberties with translation. Mm. So, like, all that stuff happened in a language he didn't understand. And maybe he was out of earshot when they were doing their thing. (laughs) Okay. And so all he has is like, whoa, peace treaties are really psychedelic and spectacular on Tamaran. Almost looks Mm. like two souls merging, but whatever. But I guess that was just a peace treaty. Wish I had known that for the last year or so. Uh-huh. God, wasted all this time being angry. <laughs> and brainwashed. Oh, yeah. So there were a couple of interesting interior design choices that were shown in this comic book. Did you catch those? Interior design choices? Yeah, uh, some of the artwork that was on the walls of first Starfire's apartment and then Cyborg's. Did you notice either of them? No, I somehow missed that. The first one is in the opening pages. You basically see that Starfire has a big poster of Linus from Peanuts on her wall. It's in the bottom corner of page four. (laughs) Oh shit, there he is. Yeah, so you see, she's got that. In another panel, there's some African masks that she's got up. There's one panel where she has a stuffed Dalmatian, which is kind of side-eyeing her, uh, Mm -hmm. which made me very nervous that 
that was not in fact a Dalmatian, but was Beast Boy. <laughs> <laughs> Staying very still and creepy. <laughs> I feel like if you are a young lady of Beast Boy's acquaintance, you probably have learned not to keep stuffed animals in your room. Oh, for sure. But I thought Linus was actually a really interesting choice, and I wonder to what extent it was intentional, because Linus was a character within Peanuts who was very naive in certain ways, but also had the most emotional intelligence and was always getting people to talk through their problems. And you really see that as the way that Starfire behaves in this. So I wonder how much of Earth's customs she learned from reading Peanuts and learning from Linus. Unfortunately, she's also a character that, like Linus, you often see infantilized in a way, but uh, she does not have a blankie that we have noticed thus far. So that's good. Wow. Good observation. Thanks. The other piece of interior design that I wanted to comment on is in Cyborg's apartment, because you see when he's having his barbecue, he has big wall art that is of lowly worm from Richard Scary crawling out of an apple. Oh, shit. Yeah. He's got a fucking busy town subway poster. Hmm. It makes me wonder if he stole that from when he was volunteering in an elementary school. He's <laughs> like, hey, Big Apple. All right. Yeah, I live in New York. All right. Free wall art. Just moved into this apartment. Uh, kind of peeved at Sarah Sims. Fuck it. This busy town's coming home with me. I'm coming back to this school later for that picture of a cat directing traffic. That's going in the bedroom. I like the backstory. Thank you. Wouldn't be the weirdest interior design choice that Cyborg is potentially making in this issue either, or the least safe, because it really does look like he has the barbecue set up in his living room. Yeah, I was wondering how that worked. <laughs> it seems incredibly unsafe. Oh, yeah, you're not supposed to do that. No. Well, fortunately, there's nothing to barbecue because Knucklehead Beast Boy... Yeah, forgot to bring the charcoal. He had one job to do. And instead, he just decided to brag about the fact that he bought fancy barbecue sauce from a weird-named place in California, which it turns out is a real barbecue place. Dang. Man, you went deep on this one. Well, that one I was looking up for a different category because I was like, Oh, if that's not a real place, it might be a good band name. But yeah, Beast Boy says, I also have your basic hamburgers, steaks, and a special sauce I've flown in from Dr. Hoggly Woggly's Tyler, Texas Barbecue in sunny California. And that's the real name of a California barbecue place that has been around since, I think, the 60s. No kidding. Huh. Yeah, but he didn't bring charcoal, so fuck him. Yeah, what are we going to do? Drink barbecue sauce? Yeah, I wouldn't put it past him. We also see that his date makes a cryptic statement. Jillian says that she brought a basic dessert, and I was really hoping there'd be some payoff to it, but we'd never learn what that basic dessert is. I was wondering that too. What do you think it was? I don't know. What, what is the most basic dessert? Let's see. This is the mid-80s. I'm going to say it was the Neapolitan ice cream. Oh, yeah, you're probably right. That comes in the cardboard square yep. carton. Mm -hmm. Okay, I mean, still good. Like, that's the thing. Like, basic things aren't necessarily bad, because I was thinking, like, chocolate chip cookies? Mm -hmm. I mean, I guess that's a basic dessert, but I fucking love them. Yeah, or like a 
generic kind of grocery store bakery cake. Mm. Mid eighties, maybe a maybe a mint Milano. Mm-hmm. Ice cream pie. See, these are all fine basic desserts, but I don't know what one they brought. Oh, it's, that's frustrating. God damn it. Mm. I'm tempted to ask Marv Wolfman about it, but I bet he probably doesn't remember. <laughs> Occasionally, I will get a listener ask me a, a question about something that we recorded like a month or two ago, and I never have any recollection of having said anything. Mm. That happens to me whenever I, I read your little blurb on Facebook when a new episode comes up. I'm like, really? We talked about that shit? It happens to me when I sit down to write that blurb because preceding me writing those things is me thinking for like a solid 15 minutes. Okay, I just spent literally six to eight hours listening to this as I edited it, and I cannot remember a single thing that we talked about. <laughs> I often have to go back and listen again to find stuff. Oh, oh, the humanity. I know. This is what I do for you, listeners. <laughs> Contrary to what I have been accused of, I do not love the sound of my own voice. You mentioned some of the, perhaps, prurient artwork that is in this issue. I did just want to say I think the art in this issue is absolutely gorgeous. It definitely benefits by comparison to the last issue, which was, I think, not to either of our likings, the Infinity Inc. issue. But Eduardo Barreto and Romeo Tingal do an amazing job with the art. It is gorgeous in this issue. And it's actually a very nice cover, too, featuring a nude raven frolicking in Tahiti, as we now know. Interesting credit note I wanted to bring up about the cover. You see, there is the little blurb. It's by Eduardo Barreto and E.H. That E.H. is Ed Hannigan. He did the inks on this. What? Yeah. So I always think it's this amazing coincidence when stuff like this comes up. But I think especially between the big two publishers, the comic book community is just smaller than I sometimes think of it as, or at least it was back then. But still, interesting to see the same names pop up between these titles. Yeah, wow, I had no idea. Yeah, the the cover was really interesting to me. It was extremely confusing in that it plays with the laws of physics and then also mashes up, I feel like, a few different genres of art. Mm -hmm. Like the waves that are splashing around Raven are drawn in such a way that they remind me of like a Japanese woodblock prints or Japanese tattoo. And I can see that the way that the rest of it is kind of put together has sort of this like this art nouveau kind of feel to it with all the little birds and then there's also this kind of psychedelia coming through where there's a waterfall in the background with a sun that the birds are flying towards but that's actually in the sky <laughs> and then there's like this cornucopia of you know verdant plants and flowers and stuff coming out of the sunset sky thing it's it shouldn't work but it does well and i didn't notice this at first either but the background and why you get that little cornucopia curly cue is because the sky is in the shape of raven's bird avatar behind her see it what? yeah holy mackerel oh isn't that clever i think it is really clever it's it's a really nicely done cover it has the little blurb that says raven reborn and it really does have that feeling that she's getting to come into her own as her own person for kind of the first time. 
And there's a real joyousness attended to that. That's nice to see. It is interesting that there is, frankly, so much nudity in this issue. It's you never see full nudity, but it's hinted at, and it definitely shows that the characters are naked. And you see that of both Raven and Starfire in a couple of different instances. And you also have Wonder Girl having a chat with Starfire, where Wonder Girl apologizes for having Starfire turn down a nude photo spread. Starfire's like, yeah, whatever. I don't care. I'm naked all the time. And Wonder Girl's like, yeah, no, no. It's cool being naked. I love naked. Naked's great. It's just I feel like people might make a stink about it because, you know, everybody knows you're a tight. That was the part that made me back up and go, wait, 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 wait. Everybody knows she's a titan? I know. We've been giving them shit about this forever. You know? The fact that you wear those little, like, John Lennon-style sunglasses makes people not realize you're seven feet tall and have gold skin and hair made out of fire. And are calling yourself Corey Anders. Like, this is, she has a secret identity. This is the first it has come up that everybody knows that she is Starfire. I know. It was a collective sigh of relief for the DCU, not all, like, just being total idiots. Yeah. I was so torn about that because I'm like, that makes perfect sense. And of course, everybody knows. And also just like, what, what did you just like forget your sunglasses one day? Like, cat's out of the bag now. <laughs> yeah, like it, we've been maintaining this facade that there is some kind of plausible deniability that you have. And now it's just like, oh, no, no, every, everybody knows. It makes it worse that like, what? two issues ago, three issues ago, Tops, you were sitting at the table with all of the Teen Titans who do have secret identities when you were in your civilian form and making Cyborg and Beast Boy sit at the kids' table because they're conspicuous. Hmm. What the fuck? Yeah, that was, I think, as we surmised, just a, we don't want Beast Boy around here and poor Cyborg (laughs) (laughs) pulled into that, you know? It makes me wonder if it's just Donna and Starfire that will admit to themselves, but when Cyborg and Beast Boy are around, they're just like, oh, well, you know, to maintain her secret identity, she's got to wear these glasses. Sorry, you guys still have to sit at the kids' table. Oh, you know they do. Ah, poor Cyborg. No wonder he turned to a life of crime, stealing wall art from elementary schools. I wanted to get your thoughts on what you think that Raven did to those guys that were hitting on her to make them experience true joy. Well, I assumed hot tub orgy. I don't know. They all, well, maybe they looked very surprised. Wouldn't you be? If I suddenly was in a hot tub orgy? (laughs) Yeah, I guess maybe I forget what a uh, libertine lifestyle you lead, Corey. (laughs) That hot tub orgies are just ho-hum. You have them all the time when you're just walking down the street with your friends. Uh, (laughs) Um, No, no, that's that's not accurate. But okay, well, that's a fair assumption. I mean, that's kind of been what has passed for true joy in, in these comics before. So. Did you have a thought as to what she might be surprising them with? No, I didn't. But, like, there's little, like, motion lines drawn around their heads, and their eyebrows are all just shot way up. Mm -hmm. And so whatever it is, they were not expecting it. Yeah, DeBarge did not see that coming. (laughs) Nope, he didn't. 
Rick, would you mind singing us into the minutia? We got minutia. It's not the biggest part, it's just minutia. Like Corey eating farts, we got minutia. Time to sweat the small stuff. Thanks, Rick. So, Corey, what do you feel like starting off with? Well, let's just try and get this one out of the way. Let's talk about clothes. Oh my goodness, Corey, sartorially speaking, there is so much to talk about. Let's start with those gentlemen that we just referenced who had a surprise hot tub orgy on their way home. Uh huh. I was just going to name them so we have a baseline. We have El Debarge, who you mentioned already. Mm hmm. Have a guy who's got kind of a blonde mullet. I think he, he's from that band, The Hooters. <laughs> Remember them? Oh, totally. And then the guy in the background, I don't know. He looks like he could just be like a roadie for Iron Maiden. Uh, I'm going to say Thin Meatloaf. <laughs> wow, okay. So let's start. El DeBarge is wearing a black leather jacket with shoulder pads, a white t-shirt under it, and a fuchsia scarf with matching headband. Mm -hmm. uh, and, uh, you know, he's DeBarge, so he's got that little mustache and a big jerry curl mullet. Mm -hmm. You want to take the, the blonde fella? Yeah, all right. Hooter guitar player, maybe? Yeah, probably guitar player. Has it's, it's a little bit obscured, but I'm pretty sure it's one of those Michael Jackson lots of zippers, red leather jackets or red vinyl jackets. Mm -hmm. And then uh, a shirt with like little cat's paw prints all over it. Oh, see, I thought dog paw prints, but you're right. I think he's probably more of a cat person. Yeah, they're tiny. Mm -hmm. And then like a super wide, like a four inch tall belt made out of lime green, probably leather with either studs or rhinestones in it. Yeah, I think they're studs because we see a lot of studs in the various fashion that we have. And uh, thin meatloaf, uh, orange t-shirt, I think. Mm -hmm. Yep. Brown hair, orange t-shirt. Yeah. That's not the only interesting fashion on that page. Let's talk about Raven's outfit. Oh my gosh. How would you describe that jacket? I would describe that jacket as Tron Carmen San Diego. Ooh, yeah. I mean, it's not a trench coat, really, but... No. That's, that's the best I can do. It's like mid-thigh length fuchsia, almost like a military jacket, but pleather, I think. Yeah. Like the kind where all of the buttons are all the way on the one side of it. Mm -hmm. Like a cowboy shirt, chef's coat kind of thing. Mm -hmm. And she's wearing that with what I think is just like spandex pants and some light purple go-go boots. Mm -hmm. And then later on, you see that under that jacket, she is wearing a flash dance sweatshirt, which is the same light purple as her boots. Yeah, it's, it's very coordinated, but you can't leave out the fedora. She's got a fedora that matches the fuchsia jacket. She does. I forgot. Yeah, see, I got that from when you were saying Carmen Sandiego. Uh, it, it is not as wide a brim as Miss Sandiego, but it is an intense fuchsia fedora. Mm -hmm. And that jacket is so bright fuchsia and the, the piping or whatever it is on it is like this kind of electric blue. It looks like it's airbrushed in almost like it's mm -hmm. glowing. It's, it's very Tron, very psychedelic black light. Yeah. And in that scene, she is going home to her apartment where she meets up with Starfire, who is waiting for her there. And Starfire's getting to know you outfit that she has worn 
for her confrontation slash Tahiti frolic with Raven is wow. Mm -hmm. It is a sleeveless turtleneck with with a thick gold choker over it. And then I was wondering about this. It's like a torn kind of shredded red tunic that has like the Ren Faire stitching across the chest on it. Mm -hmm. I was wondering if that is Robin's old Robin tunic. <laughs> that got like shredded during a fight. And she, you know, because we've seen earlier in the issue, she was wearing one of his dress shirts around the house, which is, you know, a very sexy look. But I wonder if she took one of his old Robin tunics and put that on over her sleeveless turtleneck and black leather mini skirt and fishnets and go-go boots. Yeah, I, I love that idea that it's like Robin's old beat-up tunic and she maybe tore the sleeve area a little bit more to make it like extra, you know, punk rock fashion looking. Mm-hmm. It's a great look. It's a very elaborate look. And there are a lot of very elaborate looks in this issue. That's true. We talked about her wearing Dick's pink button-up dress shirt earlier as a whole outfit when they are in the bedroom. And uh, we see that earlier. We also see, gosh, I mean, there's so much fashion, Corey. <laughs> yeah, we can't. I don't think we can talk about all of it. I think we, we got to pick one more thing each, maybe. Oh, gosh. Uh, okay, I'm going to totally cheat for mine. Mine is going to be the walking on sunshine fashion shoot montage that happens where Starfire is wearing eight different outfits on a single page. Ooh, yeah, there is a lot going on. I'll hit them rapid fire, but I do think it's worth mentioning. This is an outdoor photo shoot after her and Wonder Girl have had the chat. Well, you can't be naked in public because everybody knows you're a Titan. And she's like, okay, bummer, but I'll allow it. Then they have an outdoor fashion shoot at Rockefeller Plaza where she's wearing a ton of different outfits. I got to assume she's changing between them. First one she is wearing, it might just be a pair of elbow-length black gloves that she is using to cover herself up. Tough to tell if she's wearing anything other than that. Next one, she is wearing a leopard print, very high cut on the sides, one-piece bathing suit with a thick black belt and fishnet stockings and high heels. Then she is wearing a very confusingly cut black top that seems to zigzag across her. And how would you describe that purple mini dress, Corey? I don't know how to describe that. It's like a thick purple bow tie, I guess, that then has like a tulip dress under it. Yeah, go in with a flower theme. It's like the top part is, you know, those lady slipper flowers? Yeah. It's like one of those with a tulip stuck on the bottom of it. Mm hmm. And in that one, she's got an updo, which given her particular volume of hair is a, like an up, up and away do. Then she is wearing a red and white horizontally striped, nope, vertically striped sundress. It's both. It's horizontal and vertical. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's why I got confused. <laughs> yeah, it's a horizontally striped skirt with a vertically striped top. And then she is wearing another sleeveless turtleneck that is green and ribbed with what may or may not be culottes. <laughs> If only we knew. There's no way of knowing. 
And then in the one above that, she is wearing a kind of daisy duked up pink top with some bright blue bangle bracelets and a, a fairly sedate, I would say, ribbed cotton top under that. I feel like that's the most 80s of them all. That one. It is very 80s. The, the bracelets really bring that to the party. What was your other fashion choice you wanted to talk about? I wanted to talk about art fair ladies on page 21. Man, you got a couple of different art fair ladies in that. You're probably talking more the one on the left, right? Yeah. What <laughs> bonkers look, man. It's, what do you even call those sunglasses? They're very like triangular new wave sunglasses. I feel like we only see them on low-grade thugs in 80s comics. Did you ever watch any Pokemon, Corey? Uh, no, I haven't. Okay, Squirtle wears uh, sunglasses like this when he's a bad guy. Okay, so she's got bad Squirtle shades. Uh, mm -hmm. She's got a frilly, collared, poofy-shouldered, pink top. Very, like, Victorian-looking. Mm -hmm. a skinny black tie and like a misty 10,000 if that's even a type of cigarette it's like probably about 10 inches long yep it's like what if the cigarette holder was also made of cigarette and then there's a blonde lady to her right which her outfit is largely unremarkable but the look on her face she's got her eyes closed and it's like she's just oh man this art smells so good it's like you can just feel it art but it's like, I love art, but I'm also so annoyed by this person right now. I am more annoyed by the young man cosplaying as an old man in the lower corner of it. <laughs> like, that hipster motherfucker with his Mr. Pringles mustache and his tight muscle t-shirt and his straw boater hat who is selling fucking Addy Kane a painting. If only he had tattoos, he would fit... <laughs> It fit right in in contemporary life here. Totally, yeah. Just get that motherfucker some arm garters and slap him behind a bar, have him muddle some fucking Thai basil into something that doesn't need it, and he'll fit right in in Portland. Mm -hmm. One more note. I think I would be remiss if I didn't mention Cyborg's cooking apron that has a smiley face with eyebrows and a tongue sticking out on it. I had that one, too. I love Cyborg's whole outfit, you know? He's got bright red shirt with popped collar, unbuttoned nice and low, but, you know, keeping it classy with the apron. Mm -hmm. And then a poofy chef's hat. Have you ever had a poofy chef's hat? Ugh, yeah, I had to wear one for work when I was a cook. Oh, shit, I forgot about that. That was a Digger Odell's, right? Yeah, it was poofy, but, like, you could flop it down so it didn't look super dumb. So it looked like a cool, cool beret. <laughs> right? The, the more cools you add, the more they negate each other. Oh, I know. Yeah, thanks. There's a scene, though, in which the juxtaposition of that really cheerful outfit that Cyborg has goes with Joey looking tougher than he ever has wearing what I can only imagine is a Harley Davidson muscle shirt. No, that is a Red Baron muscle shirt. Like the bad guy from Snoopy? <laughs> Okay, so I thought about that. I actually looked into this. He is wearing a t-shirt that has a skull with fangs and a Viking helmet on it. And under it, it says Red Baron on a little banner. There were a couple of different 80s heavy metal bands named Red Baron or some variation of it. 
And I'm honestly not sure which one this is referencing. So one of them is a Swedish metal band named Red Baron, who was fairly popular in the 80s. The other one is a Spanish metal band called Baron Rojo, (laughs) who was, I think, even more popular. And so I wonder if it was honestly the artist of this is Eduardo Barreto, who is from Uruguay. And so I wonder if maybe when he sent the artwork, they translated it into English. And so it says Red Baron. I don't know which band he's referencing with that or if it's just a coincidence. And maybe it is a Snoopy reference. Damn, that's some deep shit. But what I found remarkable about this is the way that like a muscle shirt with like a skull on it completely changes the way that Jericho looks. Yeah. Being linked to the concept of heavy metal in any way makes his goofy-ass mutton chops look less goofy. Like, he looks so much cooler and so much tougher. Cooler than his bright purple and blue Renfair outfit? Yes. Mm. Well, to each his own. I would agree with you if he wasn't taking out a guitar in the middle of a party. That's not cool, Corey. Oh, at least he's not painting. Yet. Any other fashion you wanted to talk about? No, I think that covers it. Oh, shit. I'm sorry. There is one other fashion thing I do need to bring up because it'll annoy me if I don't. When Raven is walking past the Iron Maiden concert and not even trying to listen to it for a second, she walks by a dude who is looking tough, wearing a black t-shirt, leaning against a building, and he is wearing a paper hat. And he is somehow managing to look like a tough guy wearing a paper hat. Hold on, I gotta check this out. <laughs> Look at that tough paper hat boy. Just waiting to get into Iron Maiden. It's like, just got off work as a fry cook. Oh, see, I thought maybe his grandma might have wanted to make him look like a sailor. Oh, it looks like one of those fast food hats. Oh, okay. Yeah, I can see that. I thought maybe it was like a, a homemade paper hat so that he could play sailor or pirate. Either way, not traditionally a tough guy look, but I gotta say, in a bizarre way, he is managing to pull it off. Dude, wearing that to a Maiden concert, that's punk AF. Uh Uh-huh. Do you think that he left his jacket at home that has uh, heavy metal written on it in ballpoint pen? Oh, I'm sure. I'm sure he did. Well, Corey, let's do a category that I actually had a little bit of trouble with. In this, as every issue of a Teen Titans comic, there is an Aqualad, the greatest of Teen Titans, and a Beast Boy, the worst of Teen Titans. Who you got? For Aqualad, I went with Starfire for just being patient as hell with everybody and really down to earth and, you know, kind of decided to gloss over some of the potentially problematic things about the way that she is written, as you touched on earlier, where, you know... It's much younger people during sexual liberation being written about by older people that maybe didn't get it. But I don't know. I just thought she did a great job. No, I agree. I had her as my choice as well. I wrote that she was super cool despite her mean prank. But the mean prank was on dick, so eh, I'm kind of better with it. The part that I had a lot of difficulty with was deciding who was my beast boy in this issue. because. Overall, as I said earlier, I came out of this issue liking almost every character more than I went into it liking them. 
Which is pretty impressive when you consider that for some of these characters, we've read some hundred-odd appearances of them. That being said, I decided to focus on some small things that each character did wrong. So I got a bunch of potential options. Who, who, did, who did you have as your choices? Oh man, I feel bad. I didn't really put as much work into it as you did. I, Dude, you had one fucking job to do. <laughs> you didn't bring the charcoal. He didn't get the charcoal. How the fuck are they going to eat? Now Cyborg's got to bring his barbecue back outside, plug <laughs> the stove back in, and cook hamburgers on that like a boring person. Bad job, Beast Boy. Okay, so I did have Beast Boy for forgetting the charcoal. However, I also had Cyborg as an option for grilling indoors. I also had Wonder Girl as a potential choice for saying out loud... All of the bad stuff is over forever now. <laughs> I'm paraphrasing, but really only slightly. When the issue is almost over, she is hanging out with Terry Long and, and says, You ever get that feeling in your bones that the bad times are finally over? That things are going to all work out from now on? <laughs> it's like, oh, Wonder Girl. No! You live in a comic book! You can't say things like that out loud! You of all people. That's like saying, Well, I'm only a few days away from retirement. Time to finally settle down in that house with a white picket fence. Ultimately, I couldn't go with her as my choice because I do have a tattoo that says I hope nothing happens to these fresh-baked pies. <laughs> so I am hardly one to criticize someone for tempting fate. In general, I think tempting fate is a fun thing to do. I mean, Corey, at least it's not raining. Am I right? Uh, thanks, buddy. I also had potentially Raven as a choice for somehow managing to be a paranoid empath? <laughs> I, I just don't get how that works. And also for just walking right by an Iron Maiden concert and not at least listening to it for a second. But ultimately, I had to go with Jericho. Hmm. For getting out a guitar in the middle of a party. Not just for getting out a guitar in the middle of a party, though. For getting out a guitar in the middle of a party and going and playing electric guitar by yourself I don't think the electric guitar was plugged into anything. And he brought a date to that party. She is the only person who doesn't know any of the other people there. And he basically showed up at the party with her and then just abandoned her with Beast Boy to go play an electric guitar that isn't plugged in. Yeah, that's probably a pretty bad move. So there is a bit of discussion about the fact that he is dating this woman, Tish. He's brought her to the party. It seems like it's a pretty serious relationship. He's buying that painting for her, and his mom is teasing him about it and being like, oh, so you're really serious with this girl, huh? This issue is Tish's first and only appearance. She never shows up again. She hasn't showed up before, and I think it has something to do with Jericho's behavior at this party. Man, you can hang that on him. Yeah, so that is why Jericho is my beast boy. Were you able to find a timestamp in this issue? This is a pretty weak category for me. The first one, I guess the obvious one, the Iron Maiden concert. Mm -hmm. uh, I don't know what tour that was. I haven't checked. Early I mean, you 89? Could, yeah, you could look it up. They've been a band for so long that it's kind of a vague timestamp that they're 
there could have been an Iron Maiden concert happening at any time during the past, what, 40 years? Something crazy like that. Yeah, I, I accidentally put in 81 as the wrong date, and uh, that was the Killer World Tour. And then after that, <laughs> I was like, this is going to take too long. Eh? So yeah, yeah, the Iron Maiden concert, which is, like I said, kind of a cop-out. The other one was, I feel like uh, hibachis really were kind of a thing <laughs> in the mid-80s. Yeah, I think our parents had one then, certainly, mm-hmm. and would always refer to it as the hibachi, too. Yeah, and I think you still hear that a little bit, just to mean a barbecue. But the panel after Beast Boy forgets the charcoal like a dummy, uh, makes a crack that maybe a cyborg has an internal hibachi he can pop out. Mm-hmm. I had a couple. The The main one was the aforementioned Jericho t-shirt featuring Red Baron, uh, because I think both of those metal bands named some variation of Red Baron were active from like 80 to 89. So fairly tight window there. The other ones that I noticed were on a couple of the building signs in the exterior shots uh, when Raven is walking around town. At one point, you see her walking through, I think, a fashion district, and there is a Le Coq Sportif building in the background, and that seems very late 80s to me. Giving that alligator a run for his money. Yeah. The other one is from when Raven was walking around her neighborhood, and the signs are really making the point that she lives in a somewhat less than savory district. You see all of these x-rated movie theaters and things in the background and the first one that i noticed was one that says films mags and it's like that's not really a timestamp. that means it's not now because i think magazines aren't as much of a thing anymore but at any point until about 10 years ago you probably would have seen magazines advertised like mm-hmm. that but what i did see is there was a word that i didn't recognize on one of the billboards on page six there is a marquee that has starring Seika, S-E-K-A. And apparently Seika was a very popular pornographic actress who was very famous in the late 80s. <laughs> so that is my timestamp. Dang, that's a deep pull. That was, I believe, one of her films. <laughs> <Ba-da-ba>. uh. <laughs> who did you have as your president of the drama club? Well, as a runner-up, I had, (laughs) my notes say dream dick, (laughs) but um, (laughs) where he's, you know, doing the, the, like, sleep paralysis freak out thing. Mm -hmm. Uh, That looked very dramatic, but for, you know, running away and crying and then getting into the ocean with your jeans on, (laughs) I had to give it to Raven. Yeah, yeah, the uh, going into water fully clothed is a very dramatic move, one that, unfortunately, I have partaken of in my younger, more dramatic days. (laughs) I I had some sad bathtub whiskey times. Oh, no. Yeah, I don't know what I was thinking. I had Raven as a strong contender for both that and for both beginning and ending the book by basically saying how great it is to luxuriate in other people's emotions. I feel like that is a very dramatic move. Uh, The other option I had was Beast Boy for his room decor, which is just plastered with glossy 8x10s of himself. Hmm. I feel that's a very drama club move. 
And uh, I did give him the slight nod. And uh, as I'm doing that minor fashion choice, we do see that his pajamas are covered with little pink hearts. Yep, those are pretty cute PJs. Yeah. So I think I'm going to give the slight nod to Beast Boy there just because you've got Raven covered. Fair enough. Corey, I think it's time we took this party to the Bozone. What instance of one character calling another character a bozo, either literally or metaphorically, do you want to talk about? This was a tough one for me. I didn't see a lot of obvious insults thrown around, so I went with on page 16, Raven calling herself a fool. Mm. Yeah, I almost went with that because, yes, as you said, everybody's being nice to everybody in this issue. Which was refreshing, but also made this category more difficult. I went with also fool, but I went with Vic really being kind of sweet when Raven comes back and is like, I was a fool. He says, all my friends are fools. That was Um, It is sweet. It it runs counter to the spirit of this category. But, uh, you know, he did technically call a whole group of people fools. So um, I'm going with. All my friends are fools, Rave. I call them for a party and make them bring everything. (laughs) Also, good one, Vic. (laughs) All right, a couple of fools. Corey, I think it's time for our weekly Battle of the Band Names. In last week's contest, we saw the writhing obscenities successfully defend their title against the psychedelic sonic stylings of the decadent trappings. So in this issue, who do you want to put up against the writhing obscenities? Wow. Have they had as long of a run as uh, Get the Squid Drunk yet? No. Nowhere near. I think this is only the third or fourth week for the writhing obscenities. I think they might be able to give Get the Squid Drunk a run for their money, but Get the Squid Drunk had a really long run there. Mm. Well, I mean, nothing is quite so accessible as a ska song and a sea shanty. I know. I was honestly surprised that uh, Get the Squid Drunk won in the first place. I thought that perhaps the polychromatic Rainbow of Descent is the best title we've ever had, and I thought that might just hold on to it forever. Hmm. Yeah, here we are. Indeed. So who you got? Yeah, so with all of the words, there are so many words in this comic. I thought there would be a lot, but I I had some trouble with this category. I came up with a couple, but I I don't think they're great. Honestly, I'm in the same boat. I found a couple that it turned out were bands already. The Bad Times was one of those. I was like, oh, that would actually be a great name for a band. And it turns out it is already. Also, Red Baron is obviously, as we've discussed, at least a couple of bands. Uh, There is actually a newer band called Red Baron, which is Christian Hardcore Punk. Oh. So that is definitely taken. Come on, man. That's not allowed, is it? You wouldn't think. There's some sort of punk consortium. It's like, hey, I know we're supposed to be kind of like anarchists, but these guys can't do that. Uh, okay, we don't have rules, but we do have standards, right, guys? That's a good way to put it. But so, yeah, the one that I came up with was a phrase that you actually mentioned already. Uh, internal hibachi. Oh, shit. You know what that means? We are in accord. You've got eternal hibachi there? Yeah, that was one of the two I came up with. 
All right. Well, it looks like that's the one we're going with. What was your other choice? The other one I had was, well, I guess, first of all, question. So I know we're supposed to take the words like exactly as they appear, but can you put an article in front of them like the or it just has to be the way it is? Uh, I think the can can go in front. All right. So this one works, I feel like, either way, but it sounds a little better with the and it's the everything's possible. Oh, I like the everything's possible. Mm -hmm. That reminds me, there was a local band called uh, Here Comes Everybody. Oh, yeah. Kind of reminds me of that. But okay, so what kind of music do you think Internal Hibachi makes? Oh man, I just gotta think of it as like robot jams. Yeah, like a like an earlier version of like Captured by Robots. I don't know Captured by Robots. Oh, it's a guy who uh, has. <laughs> I'm gonna describe it wrong because I've never actually seen it. I've only heard about it, but I think he performs. While operating several robot marionettes. So he's a one-man band that plays as a band of robots. But, oh, that seems like it'd be hard to make good music doing all that. Well, I've never heard it, so I don't know. Uh, I guess I was thinking more like, I guess it's just because he has that song, like, We Are the Robots, like, Senor Coconut, but all, like, synthesized. Okay. How would you describe... I'm not familiar with Senor Coconut, I'm sorry to say. Uh, how would you describe that kind of music? Man, pretty weird. Like, all actual instruments and stuff, and pretty heavily orchestrated. Kind of like Esquivel, but with a lot of psychedelics mixed in. Oh, okay. So, psychedelic at electronic lounge music is that what maybe we're going for with internal hibachi played by robots psychedelic i i already forgot the words i just said <laughs> electronic lounge music played by robots Electronica. okay psychedelic electronic lounge music played by robots mm -hmm. yeah i think that sounds good look up that song after after the show we are the robots by senor coconut y conjunto okay whenever i i always like <laughs> people are over and i've had a few of like oh you guys gotta listen to this and nobody ever likes it so it might not be good you know what, Corey? Music that nobody likes is my jam. All right, all right. <laughs> You've seen my band play. <laughs> <laughs> Corey, what was your favorite panel? Oof. Yeah, like you said, and I feel like I say this all the time when we have this art team, it was gorgeous. So that's pretty tricky. I liked on page 20 the kind of... Gosh, it's almost like if you were going to do like a a screen print of somebody's face over a cityscape. Yeah, I called that panel the cityscape reflection. I called it city dick face. <laughs> I like yours better. <laughs> and I love that panel. It is gorgeous. It's really, really cool looking. Yeah, I had that as an option. I had the opening page, which I called Space Coaster Makeout. <laughs> nice because what else do you call that it's just cool looking it's like the beginning of super friends with all the stars rushing forward but dick and raven are hovering around and making out in front of it and it's just really rad looking mm -hmm. i also had the page following that uh which i called damn that's a lot of dicks which we've already <laughs> discussed yep we have 
the Tahitian friendship frolic on page 10. That is just a really nice montage scene of Raven and Starfire bonding and becoming pals as they swim around in waterfalls and shit. It's just really nicely done. Yeah, it is. It makes you uh, think of, like, I don't know what era, maybe 1960s, like, travel posters, the painted ones. Oh, totally. It's all kind of psychedelic and just makes you want to go there. Mm-hmm. Also, there's a subtler image on page 14 that is Raven feeling sad as she walks away from the party the first time when she realizes that it's all couples. And the panel itself seems to be melting at the bottom. Like, mm-hmm. for some reason, it seems to just really well encapsulate the feelings of isolation and resentment that Raven is feeling right then as she listens to Tish and Wonder Girl make small talk. But I called that panel of Neapolitan feelings melt <laughs> because the three colors that are melting out of the bottom of it are Raven's pink jacket, her brown shirt she's wearing under it, and just the white of a panel border. But it, it's just a really weird dripping imagery, and I thought it was really innovative layout. Yeah, same. That was a good choice. So of those, I think I'm going to go with Space Coaster Makeout. How about you? Yeah, I I have a toss-up between City Dick Face and also one I know you're not going to like, but it's on page 16. It's the party scene where, you know, Cyborg's chef and Joey's rocking and everybody's hanging out and it just looks like a good time, you know? It looks like a fun scene until Jericho ruined it by getting out his guitar. But it is beautifully drawn and I do like what is happening in that scene other than Jericho being a bad date. <laughs> yeah. But despite the good vibes of that image, I, I think I am going to go with uh, page 20 and the cityscape face. Good call. Well, Corey, I have just one more question I got to ask you. Waput in the year of our Lord, 1989, and the month of our Lord, March, as we are going with when the reprints of this would have come out if the title Tales of the New Teen Titans was still reprinting this at a year and a couple months later. It's getting complicated, but uh, in that month anyway, Waput! What was Aqualad probably up to? So, yeah, March 1st, 1989, found Aqualad out in the middle of the ocean hearing a distress signal. Oh, no. Yeah. It turned out that several fishing boats that kind of went out as a, a crew got caught in a storm and things went sideways and these guys were really struggling to stay afloat. Their engines had stopped working and everything. And they had departed from port in Iceland. Aqualad decided he would save these fishermen and so was able to get some of his dolphin buddies together and porpoises and whatnot and basically get the boats corralled and get a hold of the ropes and the lines and towed them in just on the strength of his own sea strength and legs. And wow. it was quite an effort. So by the time he had safely uh, dragged everybody to shore, he just collapsed. And they were so worried that this hero who had saved them was not going to make it. The, the captain of the lead boat went into his captain's stash and pulled out a 
container of his home-brewed beer, which I have to tell you is totally illegal. What? Because since uh, 1915, there had been an alcohol prohibition in various forms across Iceland. And at that point, beer was still totally not allowed, at least beer that was over uh, 2.5% alcohol by volume. So he went in there and he pulled out his captain's uh, stash of uh, some home brew that weighed in at a hefty, uh, let's say, 7% alcohol by volume with a strong malt bill and just only slightly hoppy. Perked old Aqualad right up. He got up, he grabbed the thing and just chugged it and jumped up and was like, woo! (laughs) And all the villagers cheered and rejoiced (laughs) and the word spread and the ban was lifted. So it was thus that after 74 years, Iceland ended its prohibition on beer. Celebrated today is the, uh, my Icelandic's a little rusty. I'm going to say they call it Bjordagur, or uh, Beer Day. Very nice. Corey, when you were describing that scene, I was hearing the Popeye music in my head. Oh, that's delightful. (laughs) Just picturing Aqualad having those, like, steam engines going in his muscles and his sea-strengthened forearms. What a treat. I'm, I'm just, I'm pleased that my words bring such art to your brain. Well, and I'm also glad to hear that uh, Aqualad had that kind of a, a joyous moment, because some of the rest of his month was a little bit rough. I mean, first of all, this is the same month that he spent mostly being scared of sexy mummies. Because uh, we did talk about March of 89 when we talked about the Infinity Inc. issue that preceded this because the publishing schedules lined up that way. That's right, inventing the internet and uh, being scared of mummies. Yeah, and repealing prohibition in Iceland. Busy month. And feeling a little blue. Hmm. Feeling a little blue. You see, like Raven, Aqualad also was a little bit bummed that he wasn't invited to Vic's barbecue. Unlike Raven, he actually wasn't invited. I think Vic just figured he'd probably be busy. And, you know, he was fairly busy. But, uh, it's nice to be asked. And so, uh, Aqualad was like, well, fine, if they're not going to invite me to their barbecue, then I'll have my own barbecue. But since all of his Titan friends were at Vic's barbecue, he was like, "Mm, who can I invite? I'm going to have to do some dimension jumping. So he invited the Hulk over to his barbecue. (laughs) And, you know, you have the Hulk over to a barbecue. What are you going to have, Corey? Beans. Exactly. So Aqualad went out, was about to buy some beans, and then he heard a news report. See, on March 12th of 1989, Cyanide was found in two grapes in Pennsylvania that had come from Chile. Nobody knows how it got there, but as a result, there was a ban on all imports of Chilean fruit that was issued on March 13th. And as Aqualad was on his way to the store, he heard that report on the radio, only he misheard it slightly. He had a pretty bad case of swimmer's ear, as will happen from time to time with him. And he thought it said chili fruit, not Chilean fruit. And he's like, <laughs> chili fruit? That must mean the musical fruit. Beans! Oh no! If there's a ban on that, oh boy, the Hulk's gonna be so disappointed. And he fretted and he, he 
just wasn't sure what to do. But then the Hulk showed up, and you know what? The Hulk brought beans with him, because the Hulk is a good guest. And Aqualad and the Hulk ate a lot of beans. <laughs> so this story has a happy ending. Oh, thank goodness. And that's what Aqualad was probably up to in March of 1989, having some musical fruit with his pal, the Hulk. Musical, but not Chilean. Corey, thank you so much for joining us. I had a great time talking with you about this issue. I really, really dug this issue. Same here. Next up for the New Teen Titans, rather than go to New Teen Titans number 40, I think we have to make a brief detour and hit the New Teen Titans annual number three. So that's what we'll be doing in two weeks. Next week, we will continue the Six-Fingered Hand adventure, which I'm also looking forward to. So, uh, yeah, I hope that you and our listeners will join me for that. In the meantime, if you would like to get into touch with us, you can do so by reaching us at ttwasteland at gmail.com or via our post office box at Tighten Up the Defense, P.O. Box 20311, Portland, Oregon, 97294. And if you can't find us in one of those places, well... Why don't you poke around on the social media and see what the fisherman brings in today on this internet? Because you use nets in fishing, Corey. Ah. You know? Good. Yeah. Good job. (laughs) Thanks. So yeah, just uh, hack into your web browser and have it uh, take you there on your, your light cycle or whatever. That's how computers work. Mm-hmm. If you get past the space paranoids. Huh? I see what you did there. I told you about how I thought it was a missed opportunity when uh, Daft Punk was in uh, Tron Legacy. Did you see that? Uh, yeah. That's the one with the big Lebowski in it, right? Like well, the, I mean, he was in both of them. I mean, like, he... the, as, as like the older... Guy. Yeah, yeah. He he's he's looked more like the big Lebowski. Jeff Bridges. He, Sorry. Yeah, right. than he did in the first one. But when like Daft Punk is there playing their little tune, big missed opportunity to, to not have the somebody come in and be like, Hey, I really like this neutron dance. Oh yeah? I'm still burning doing it. <laughs> oh shit. That's that's pretty funny. Good job. Yeah, so that's the level of wit you can expect to see from me on the socials media once you take your light cycle or whatever there. And hey, if you can't find us there, there's one other place you can look, and that's deep inside your heart. We'll be in there, doing that Neutron dance. I don't know, you got anything else? What what are you up to in there, Hard Corey? Uh, Other than doing the Neutron dance? Yeah. Shit, man. I think I'm listening to a combination of the Humpty Dance, and oh. X gonna give it to you. Shock G, DMX, rest in peace. Yeah. If you'd like to support the show, you can do so by checking us out on patreon.com slash ttwasteland. If you do, you get access to all kinds of bonus content. There is the monthly podcast, What the Duck, a podcast most foul, but with a W, because he's a duck. That's the full name of the show. That's the Howard the Duck podcast that I co-host with my wife, Lisa. There is also a whole bunch of videos that I've made that are reviews of classic comic books. So 
Maybe you'll enjoy those or some of the extra podcasts that I've recorded with Corey and some other friends and family members. So donors get uh, exclusive access to all that. So, you know, you can uh, check that out. And if you do, I would very much appreciate it. If you would like to support the show non-monetarily, Corey, what's a way that they could do that? I think you should just tell people. Yeah. Hey, you know, in these uncertain times, you need education and levity. And hey, have I got the show for you. Oh, then take them to Tahiti with you and frolic for a solid week. You gotta. Then it's barbecue time. And at that barbecue, if you see somebody taking out a guitar, just take them aside and say like, no, 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 not now. We're all about to listen to a podcast together. It's that kind of barbecue. (laughs) (laughs) And put on Titan Up the Defense for all your barbecue needs. Five stars. Wow. That is the best review we've gotten. (laughs) I know. That's not true. We have gotten some amazing reviews that warms the cockles of my heart. Oh, boy, those cockles are on fire. It's like mm-hmm. they've been doing the Neutron Dance. It's like they've been at a barbecue. <laughs> oh, yeah, one of those famous Tighten Up the Defense barbecue listening parties. Oh, boy, I can't wait until this quarantine's over so that I can start going to those again. <laughs> I think that's pretty near the top of everybody's list. Oh, yeah. So uh, this time, I hope Beast Boy doesn't forget the charcoal. And then we can all enjoy some free sodas. And hypnotic albino baboons. And other in-jokes. Till next time, I hope you're all doing space and not Terry. Remember that? Yep. All right. Bye. Bye. And they knew it.